0: Dismiss our school-age kids uh, to the back uh, to go and learn about our Savior together. Man, Caroline, you like just really messed me up today. Like, I mean, what do I do now? I mean, seriously, I'm kind of stuck. But um, we're going to open the Word, and we're going to preach the Word, and we're going to the Word... Uh, point us to Christ, let the word dictate how we live our lives. So uh, let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord, thank you, for, uh, uh, thank you for the family of God. Uh, thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who spur us uh, to look to you and to follow you in a deeper way. And so thank you for testimonies uh, and thank you for uh, your presence. We love you, Jesus. Let your word speak to us now. Amen. We're going to be in John 14 uh, this morning. You know, Caroline's talking, and um, I, I'm reminded of this idea that uh, wisdom is not found in age or knowledge is found in the fear of God. And you see that coming from uh, our sister in Christ Uh, Just wisdom overflowing because of her submission to God. And we read this passage in Acts 4, uh, Gracie, her sister did, about this picture of the church. This picture of the church where uh, Peter and John had been uh, arrested and they got out and they came back to the church. They had this prayer meeting And in this prayer meeting, they asked for more boldness, like more reasons to get in trouble. And as they prayed, the the ground shook. And it says here, they were of one heart and of one soul. And they did not see their possessions as their own, right? And they laid their stuff at the feet of the apostles, And it reminds me of this verse in John 14, 12 that is almost just crazy to think about. So Jesus is about to go to the cross. He kind of is having his last time with his followers, with his disciples. He had just washed their feet and now he's teaching them. And he says here, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. But hear this. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Greater works than the works of what he has done. As he goes to the Father, he sends his Spirit. His Spirit indwells his people, and we see the church explode. And this idea of greater, if you study it, really means not necessarily just better works, but more works. It's the spreading, the multiplying of the gospel through these faithful disciples. And for many of us, it is this vision of Christianity. It's this vision of following Jesus of the church and his kingdom that at one point we all cling to and hope for. I'll never forget. Um, I, I was 18, 19 years old. Um, I went to Eunice, Louisiana um, to an event uh, Layton was putting on. And... Um, Man, I met Jesus at this event. Remember when you are 18 years old, if you're old like me? Remember when you are 18, you weren't so cynical, you weren't so dang tired? Like, you, you had this hope. And I'll never forget, I, I met with God and very clearly God changed the course of my life. And I, 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 I was, guys, like, you know, I was that classic Christian on fire kid. And I was an idiot still, but I was on fire for Jesus. And, and I got home and you know, I just left the youth ministry. And I was like, okay, all the youth come to my mom's house on Friday night, we're having Bible study. And we had a Bible study. I had my little boombox, so we had worship. It's true, it's a true story, guys. I was the worship leader doing the Bible study, leading the prayer, I was on fire at one point. The CD started skipping. I turned it off, led worship myself. It was phenomenal. Embrace this place among thorns, right? Draw us near. Um, But there was this real, what I I think about, there was this childlike faith of what God could do. There was this childlike faith of what God could could do but somewhere along the way most of us we get that vision gets distorted we've been let down too much other things get in the way I'm taking this class and I'm I'm reading the screw tape letters for this class that I'm taking And if you read it before it's this story that C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of a, a demon trying to trip up Christians. And the theme over and over in the book is this right here, that the scheme of the enemy is to distract us as people that we believe, that the things that we believe to be important are really important, but they're not truly important. What the enemy is doing is he's taking these things that aren't important and he is lulling us to sleep with unimportant things. Where there was once this vision for the kingdom of God and what could be and should be here on earth has gotten replaced for the lesser thing. Been distracted, deceived, and lulled to sleep. But hear this, the history of mankind is this right here, of the enemy lulling him to sleep, distracting man from the true purpose of his life. We see it right with the people of Israel. They are literally slaves, right? And God, through some of the most unbelievable miracles ever recorded, frees them from slavery, But then not much time has passed, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they want to then go back to slavery. They've been deceived by the lesser thing, by the enemy. We see this in the life of David, right? Where David, King David, the man after God's own heart, does all these great things and then is deceived by the woman, by his sin, by murder. By all these things, he's lulled to sleep and deceived by these things. But it's true for us today, isn't it? What is your list of things that you have made the capital T thing? This covers all of us. We take the lesser and we make it the greater. This can be politics, social issues, COVID stuff, entertainment, sports, hobbies, Money, our kids, our spouse, our home, our relationship. What is the lesser thing that is lulling us to sleep for you? I could give you mine. I won't do that today. Maybe one-on-one I'll do it with you, but not in front of everybody. Because there's lesser things that are lulling us to sleep. Even in John 14 we see this. Jesus had just washed their feet, and Philip says this this in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. They have been with Jesus for three years, done all these miracles, heard all these great sermons. He says, now show us the Father. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because Philip was lulled to sleep about what the Father should look like. It should be this earthly king. He was lulled to sleep by the lesser and he missed the greater. That was God in the flesh. He's once again being distracted and lulled to sleep. And so Jesus now, in these next few verses, he gives this framework for how to see the world, how to interact with the world, and how to follow him. So that we can see even greater works happen. Let's go to John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works in these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name. And what that really means, if you ask me anything for the purposes of my name, for the glory of my name, I will do it. Here we go, verse 15. You're going to see a theme here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We keep going. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. This is the promise of the Spirit. Now today, we're not going to get into the weeds of the Spirit. In a few weeks, Luke will get in this with you. But for today, we're going to find something else. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. God is right here, and soon he'll be indwelling you through his Spirit. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I like how they put that in there for you. He said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. we will come to him and make our home with him. That's huge right there. We'll get that in a minute. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Verse 15, it says here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and does them, he it is that loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. There is a theme that Jesus is trying to like just, he is trying to brand at this time with them right here. Like hear this, hear this. Hear this. Please get this. And he says this phrase, you will do greater works than I do, right? And we see here how. We ask him, how will you manifest yourself to the world? And he says, by anyone who loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Through love and obedience, there's this receiving of the spirit that then, hear this, as the people of God, are in dwell with the Spirit of God, we are manifesting Christ to the world. There's little pictures of Jesus through our lives. Is, is it full? Of course not. We're, we're not Christ, but we are this shadow, this picture, even a faded picture, it's still a picture of Christ as we love, as we obey Him. Love, He is saying, if you really love me, I'm inviting you into relationship and union with me. But with that means you have faith and you obey me. Love and obedience. Uh, Another way of putting this, we've used it before in this church, is invitation and challenge. Where, Where Christ is inviting them into a loving, union, relationship with him. But there's a challenge. To truly love me means you will obey my ways an invitation to love and a challenge to obey Fourteen twelve again he says who believes in me will also do the works that i do in this moment these works of course it's the past works right he had just washed their feet but it's also these future works of him going to the cross so hear this this challenge is enormous But the invitation is also enormous. He is inviting them in, inviting his followers in, inviting you and me and us in today through this radical sacrifice, radical love, and radical service to us. But he is also challenging them and us to go and do likewise. It's invitation to relationship and challenge to walk in his kingdom ways. This is the message from the very beginning of John's gospel. John 1.14 says this, And the word, this is Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. We'll get back to that in a minute. And we have seen his glory. Here it comes. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, invitation and challenge. Jesus embodies these things perfectly. And here's the truth. Many of us, definitely the world, but even in the church, we want to paint Jesus many times with a black brush or a white brush. He is full of grace and truth. He calibrates invitation and challenge perfectly. So, so what does this look like? How did, so if Jesus did this, What did it look like from this? How did he practice invitation? How did he invite people to draw near? Well, the first is his presence. We see here in John 1 the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think sometimes we lose sight of the miracle, the beauty of the incarnation, which is simply God putting on flesh. Listen, God could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have simply sent his command down and say, hey, do this. No, God came near. Does that make sense? Like he didn't delegate the task. He didn't send an email. He didn't do a work. He literally came near to us. The presence of God with man is mind-blowing and is this huge picture of invitation. Here's how I know that. Many times I don't have the energy to be present with my kids who I see every day. I'm, I love my kids. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You, I, am I the only one here that like sometimes like, oh, the kids, right? There is this sense Jesus was just fully present. But hear this. He wasn't just present. He didn't just show up and run out the clock. As he was there, man, Jesus served. The king served. So he was present. He served us. In this narrative, right, this story, he just washed their feet, which is just this humbling act we don't understand in our culture, but Jesus served his people. But that, that level of invitation went even deeper. As Caroline Taught us earlier in Ephesians 2, we were far away. So Jesus couldn't just come and model and serve. He had to sacrifice, he had to go to the cross. In the greatest act of love, invitation in the history of the world, he paid the price for my sins and for your sins on the cross. So that we could be brought near. Listen, there is no invitation without the cross. We could not come near to God without the cross because we are full of sin. So Jesus was present, he served, and he sacrificed to invite us into relationship with the Godhead. So we could be a part of that union with God. That is invitations, friends. That is how Jesus practiced invitation. But he didn't just do good deeds. As great as those are, even as Caroline once again said, I'm just re-preaching Caroline's sermon, if we're cool with that. As Caroline said, words are necessary. Words are necessary. The challenge of Jesus, he challenged people to walk in his kingdom ways. Because there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And Jesus came and he drew the line between light and darkness. He said, follow me in this way. It's, he preached kingdom truth. He preached kingdom truth. He called people to repentance. He told them to turn and to follow him. He called people to purity. He went beyond the, the rules for even adultery and said, "If you even think on someone else's spouse, you were committing adultery." He called people to radical purity. He called people to radical generosity. Right? He told people to go and sin no more. Yes, in that story, right? the woman caught in adultery. We see this great picture of his mercy and his grace and his invitation coming to her and not condemning her. But do not forget, he said, go and sin no more because the greatest invitation is false if the truth to the better way is not preached. Does that make sense? It's like if you're sick and you get medicine that might, you know, so here's some food, here's some medicine, you're better for a day, but I'm not going to teach you the way to stop being sick. Because the way of the kingdom is the way to true life, abundant life. He called his people to counter cultural values, to loving your enemy, to being meek, to almost accept persecution. He called his people to counter cultural values. So we see this life of Jesus very clearly. It's very clear how he calibrated invitation and challenge. And now he's challenging his disciples to go and do likewise. As they walk in love and obedience, invitation and challenge, they go and they embody Christ and they go and do likewise. We see this in Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples. Disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. We've been we've been taught if you've been in church, you have been taught that verse and that phrase over and over and over. And it's great. I believe it. That is the mission of the church, to go and make disciples. But I think we get the mission, but we don't always use the right method. Ephesians 4, Paul says this, the church in Ephesus. Rather, speaking truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We grow into Christ through truth and love, invitation and challenge. Truth and love, invitation and challenge is the method, is the means to accomplish the mission. And hear this, we must use this, calibrate this in our homes. Your household is your first environment where you make disciples. Of course, in our MCs, our missional communities that we have throughout our church, our entire church should practice on some level. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, you should practice these things. And here's why. We are all bent a certain way. We all want to paint Christ with the brush of our personality. And many times we embody Christ in a non-biblical way. Look at the image on the screen, this picture of, on the bottom left, of low invitation, low challenge. Some of you have already seen this before, but just stick with me. Low invitation, low challenge, where there is not that inviting into your life. That's not happening. And there's no truth ever being spoken. This low invitation, low challenge. What happens there is a bunch of bored, apathetic people. And as your pastor, uh, we were talking and praying this week. Many times, it's true in my life as well, our apathy just frightens me. It just frightens me. I'm drawn to it. I, I want to not be challenged. If I'm honest, many times I just want to be left alone. I want to hide. And friends, if we're not careful, we will live these superficial Christian lives where we're not known and we're not hearing the truth. That is death. That is death for us as followers of Jesus. And other kind of extreme here is high invitation, low challenge. This is where I fall. If you know me, this doesn't surprise you. I'm very sweet. I'm very pastoral. I'll listen to you for, for days on end. Um, and sometimes in my sin, that challenge isn't as clear. When that happens, when we just are like, come in, brother. We love you. Come and just sit and you just be, that creates this, like, distorted gospel, this cozy culture, almost a social gospel, that we can, like, good works each other to the kingdom. Hear this. Every single one of us is sinners, and if we don't preach the cross, we're a million miles away, right? And we have this cozy culture that's headed to hell. And so, us peacemakers, us harmonious people, we have to be aware of what our blind spots are, right? What happens in these homes like this, it's a cozy culture in a household where kids run the household because the parent wants to just make them feel safe all the time. Just, you know, just figure it out, buddy. Well, no, buddy's a sinner. You need to tell him that, and he's headed to hell. That sounds Well, don't use those words exactly. It's going back a little too high of a challenge. But there is a sense, parents, are you creating too cozy of a culture in your household? People at work, as there is sin happening around us, do people know who your Savior is? Or are we just listening? Listen, we have to listen. We have to love. That's all true. But the gospel is a message. That is to be preached. Now, the other extreme, which is also in this room, is that low invitation I don't have time for you. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna speak the truth to you, and if you don't like it, you just get over it. The problem with that, many times, is the life of Jesus. The majority of times that Jesus brings challenge, it starts with invitation. Really the whole message of the gospel is an inviting message into a relationship with Him. And so if we are just simply truth, 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 and there's no context of love and sacrifice and relationship, many times this is what's happened to the church, is that we have the greatest message in the world, but our spirits and our ways do not line up with our message. Right? We can't preach a gospel if we're not living out the gospel. Because the gospel is a humbling message, right? That I was far away, that I had no hope. But God came near. And God did it all. Jason did nothing, so I must walk in humility. But many times the church does not walk in humility, we walk in pride. And we preach and we preach and we preach. And it falls on deaf ears because we're not walking in the ways of Jesus, which is presence, service, and sacrifice. But here is the hope. Here is why we are doing this as a church, is we want to be a people who calibrate invitation. We're going to go to people. Even as Caroline said, that word intentionality is huge. The point is not to go to work or go to the store. The point is to share the gospel and then do some work while you're there. It's to share the gospel and pick up some food while you're there. We are saved to be sent. The hope is that we as a people will go out among people and bring the truth of God's kingdom and his gospel to a watching and a hurting world. So the question I have as we kind of start to close today, not quite yet. I'm not closing yet. I don't, I don't want to lie to you. What if, I don't. Um, what is the culture that you are creating in your life, your household, and your ministry? What is the culture you are creating? Y'all can't see my answer on that. that's, that's good because it's really convicting. And here's the tough part. So you see this picture of love and obedience, imitation and challenge. And there's this thought, okay, we know what to do. Let's go do it. We know what to do. I've got the play. Let's go run the play. Imitation and challenge. Well, there's a vital thing that's missing that Jesus gets to in John 15. In this kind of same talk with his followers. Verse 5. Verse 4, excuse me. It's this huge principle. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Hear this, church. Neither can you. We want to practice invitation and love people in this sacrificial way. You can't. Neither can you. You want to be that person that speaks gospel truth, that brings God's word. We hear Caroline's story. We're so inspired. We want to be like Caroline as she does this, right? Neither can you unless you make one thing the main thing, abiding in Christ. The only way for us to create this culture of discipleship is through Jesus, It's not modeling Jesus, it's through Jesus. Here's our big thought today. Write this down, whatever you want to do. (laughs) We practice invitation and challenge with others by first practicing it to our own souls. We do this with others by first doing it to our own souls. With this great quote this week. It's almost like we obsess over what is seen, right? What is out there, like how I'm doing this. Listen to this. The iceberg brings to mind the goal of spiritual formation in Christ. Namely, that Jesus wants to form his life in us. Significantly, about 90% of an iceberg remains unseen beneath the surface. And Jesus wants to transform our entire being's not just the ten percent that shows. Like we want to do this like correctly, but what Christ is really concerned about is that ninety percent that's not seen with our souls. Our goal is to abide in Jesus' loving invitation of His life for our life, and then we can bear kingdom fruit. So there's two things we're going to talk to as we close today. First, there's an invitation to abide. There's an invitation to abide. And second, there's a challenge to bear fruit. These are the the, the two steps of the Christian life. So how do we actually, as we're trying to abide, what does that look like tomorrow? First, we have to stop. Church, we have to stop. And I'll confess to you. I have felt so busy today. I felt so busy this week. I felt so busy the past month. And I keep backing it up. Well, it's been a busy year. It's been a busy, busy 10 years. Friends, the busyness is not, is not going away. Dallas Willard says this, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. If we want to see this embodiment of Christ here on earth through the church. Friends, the first step to abiding is we've got to stop. You've got to find ways in your life to stop, to check out, to be away with just you and God. That's the first, we've got to stop. But we don't just, we don't just stop. Here's where we fail. It's where I fail too. We stop and we rest. But we rest in the worst ways possible. We rest through binging Netflix. We rest through doing all kinds of just foolish things. We stop. Second most important thing, we meditate. We meditate. We must go to the word. We go to the vine found in his word and we meditate on that word. We meditate on who he is. And if you don't know how to do that, you need to find someone to help you learn how to do that. That is discipleship. And if your life is dependent on learning how to abide in Christ, which it is spiritually, then we have to learn how to meditate on God's Word. So we stop, we meditate, then we repent. The posture of the Christian life is the posture of repentance over and over and over again. Because as we grow in the likeness of Christ, we see more and more the darker parts of our soul. And so we must turn away from those daily. This is why in the Lord's prayer, he says, forgive us of our debts. It's a daily thing that we do, that we come to Christ and turn away from ourselves and towards him. Fourth, we receive. We receive. We receive the good news of who we are in Christ. We receive this new identity that we had nothing to do with. As we repent and we turn, turn away, we receive God. We receive the good news. And it's when we're in this, this, this place of abiding, of walking with God, that we're then free to then go and bear fruit. And here is how we are challenged to bear fruit. The first, we go and we practice presence. Like, how, how do I really bear fruit in the name of Jesus? You've got to practice presence. God has sent every one of us to a certain group of people. It's family, it's friends, it's neighbors, it's coworkers, it's cousins. Those are your people. Practice presence. It's just showing up over and over and over and over again. We don't, we don't just show up, though. We also, second thing, we serve. We serve people. Christians should be the first in line to serve other people. If there's a need, we should meet the need because Christ met every need for us, correct? So we practice presence, we serve, third, we sacrifice. This is that level low service where we serve some, but then we sacrifice. We give money away. If there's a need, we meet that need financially. We've got to watch their kids. We're going to watch their kids. We have to get dirty. We're going to get dirty. We're going to sacrifice for people. And fourth, kingdom truth, kingdom truth, kingdom truth. We've embodied Christ, and we're going to preach Christ. We're going to share the hope that we have in Christ. And as we're abiding in him, and we're serving others, the joy of the gospel, as Caroline said, will literally bubble up and come out of us. But if we're not abiding in Christ, it's not going to happen. Invitation and challenge is the life that Jesus lived, and it's a life that we're called to live. But we practice this invitation and challenge with others by first practicing with our own souls. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for your message of you coming near. Thank you for that message, Lord. Lord, help us today. Just reveal to us where we're off. Reveal to us where we've made the lesser thing the greater thing. Lord, give us the courage to turn to you. Give us the courage to deny ourselves our pride and turn to you. We love you, Jesus. Help us to respond with faith, love, and obedience. Praise your name. Amen. As we end our, our, our time today, this sermon... What greater picture of invitation than communion? Where we celebrate and remember and live in gratitude over the broken body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And this reminder that we're to go and do likewise, to sacrifice our very lives for the sake of others. So before you partake today, I want to encourage you just take a moment with God and search your soul of what God's trying to reveal to you, to teach you, to encourage you with today, and where he is calling you to repent and to turn. Now, if you're not a Christian today, this is not...